out there in radio land this is nancy hopkins you're listening to cosmic reality radio show this is produced by aggie shack colleen kelly and walt silva is my co-host and the date is july 19th 2016 and how's everybody doing how are you doing colleen you all right tonight you know you had a little tummy problem but we're a little better yep yep a little better got my spearmint tea and a little bit of honey is that that's the trick, spearmint tea? For me, it is. Seems to, I can't do peppermint. Spearmint seems to help settle my stomach some. Huh. Wonder why. I don't know, but I grow it and it works cool. <laughs> Better than Pepto Bismol. Ugh. Uh-huh. I've all heard- I remember all I remember doing is throwing up every time my mother gave it to me. <laughs> I guess it worked. <laughs> Well, whatever works, I guess. And does Walt work tonight? <laughs> How you doing, Walt? Sorry, I lost track of uh, of time. Oh, so that, you, you none of us me. have ever done that. You, you caught me. Well, we're here. Um, how you feeling? Are you asking me or Colleen? No, I'm asking you. Oh, I'm okay. Sweating. It's like over 100 degrees in the garage, so very humid and very hot. In Minnesota? In Minnesota. Bummer. Yeah, even the wind, uh, the breeze, <laughs> it's like the breeze coming out of a hair dryer. <laughs> oh, God, I, I, know, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Oh, Lord. So um, <clears throat> have you noticed any changes in anything, Walt? Besides the crazy weird nightmares, I don't know. We like crazy nightmares. Well, two days in a row. I was about to call you because since you're the intelligence expert, uh, two nights in a row, and I thought, what the heck is this all about? Uh, dreams about Chinese and rockets. And for some reason, they couldn't launch the rockets. And at one point in the dream, they had me come up with something to bypass the system so that they could ignite the rocket. And I'm thinking, what is the, what is this? Am I, am I yearning for Chinese food that I'm dreaming about Chinese and rockets? 
I mean, it's the weirdest thing. I've never even dreamt of anything remotely like that. (laughs) Um, okay. Did you, oh, you went out last night, so you didn't hear any of Andrew Bartz's, uh, I'm not exactly sure what happened, Colleen. Was it that Andrew was supposed to be on with Sean David Morton and the revolution went down or something? How did that all happen, that he ended up on Wolf Spirit? I'm not real sure, but I do know that Revolution Radio went down completely, apparently. And JP had told him, you know, come on over to Wolf Spirit Radio. We can go ahead and have our talk here. And uh, Sean David Morton was on, and uh, Andrew Bartzis was scheduled to be JP's guest on JP's show, which, you know, JP also does through Ever Beyond and Revolution Radio and all that other stuff anyway. So they just did it on Wolf Spirit Radio. And, uh, man, I don't know what the heck happened, but we had trolley kind of people coming in from the woodwork with that one. Why? Tell us. What did you see? Well, there was a lot of um, racist comments. There was um, some just what, you know, there must have been about, I don't know, I want to say maybe five people started in and they're black backgrounds in the chat room and all kinds of weird stuff they were typing. And then somebody posted gay porno pics. <laughs> that Sorry, I missed those. <laughs> um, male on male. Oh. And just uh, was like, what uh, the I thought, heck? isn't there someone assigned to moderate all this stuff? Well, we were moderating. We were deleting and banning left and right, Vanessa and I. And Do you have the, the power? Does the system give you the power to knock out chatters so that they can't log back in to the Chitango? That's what the ban is. You ban them and they can't come back in, at least uh-huh. not with that IP. Now, some people, if... They've got a changer or something, you know, an IP changer. I don't know what that all entails, but they might be able to. Oh, it's it's easy. They use Tor. I showed Nancy. You use the Tor browser to go to uh, Wolf Spirit Radio? Well, let's not Uh tell them how. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, Vanessa and I were going crazy there for a while. And they even, not just on Wolf Spirit's chat, but on Haggy's chat as well. So, um, I have a moderator in there as well, and luckily she caught them. And I then uh, later went to bed and woke up early this morning. I mean, you know, like middle of the morning, night thing. And went in, and there were some still coming in. Not nearly as bad as what we had had, but it was like, so it was like the attack over the internet shields. Something. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? You know, we haven't had even trolls, you know, who come in just to diss the host kind of stuff for a long, long, long time. 
Uh, well, they're desperate. Their, their reality is becoming unraveled, and they don't know who to attack. Well, I'm just <laughs> like, are you... People, they're talking about unraveling a reality. That's a big no-no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but it was quite the experience, I'll tell you. Got my adrenaline pumping. <laughs> well, she writes me, and she says, are you listening to chat? And I went, no. So I go over there, and I go... Well, there is nothing in chat. What the heck happened to chat? And only to realize that after when I talked to her that they deleted everything and blocked everybody. Wow. Um, but what, what Andrew said was um, pretty astounding because remember when on Sunday's show when I was on with you with Say What After Simon and I said to you that I felt like we had returned to the Ascension timeline, the 1992's timeline that I had jumped from to, to the, the Nazi timeline? Yes, you did say that. Okay. He came out and he said that on Saturday, which would have been, you know, Saturday the 16th, um, that everything was in a brand new, this was day, hour one, day one of the new reality. Okay. That- Hour one, day one, what date is this? Saturday. Saturday. Oh, Saturday. Same, okay. the same, at the same time frame that, you know, I felt this collapsing of, you know, that the time, that the Nazi timeline had started to collide with the old, with the Ascension timeline. Mm. Because all of a sudden I'm sitting here and I went, I'm home. I just felt like all of a sudden I was home and everything well, the word is vibrant. Everything was more vibrant than it had been moments before. All of a sudden, just boom, wow. That's amazing. And um, so Andrew uh, confirmed down to the date that something massive had happened on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Saturday was one of those days where, well, it started up Friday night, and Dolly's like, Oh my God, I gotta get a guest for tomorrow and they want me to, you know, the chatters were giving him I, her ideas and so she goes over to, um, American Kabuki uh-huh. and, and, um, goes to the contact and asked him if he would be on the show on Saturday and he says yes. <laughs> so, <clears throat> and the man has not done very many interviews. So somebody calls him up or asks him on his contact, you know, and, I mean, I I have contact too, and and you do too, and it, I mean, it can be, you know, some time before I even see it because I just not looking at the emails or something. So the timing from the get go was like perfect, and he agreed to come on to to her show. And I was, I I just I I was like, because you know we have the reputation at say what that follows Dolly's show to hijack her guests. But because we've had some weird um, <laughs> situations arise with guests, um, I'm a little bit reluctant to, you know, not really knowing somebody, you know, to bring them in anymore. Um, although I don't know that you can bring it, know anybody, you know, in a short period. But anyway, I'm trying, you know, going off on it. Anyway, so anyway, he... Um, he gets on there and she's, she's doing doll. I mean, Dolly is to, in my opinion, the best interviewer on the net because of the way that she just listens and gets to the, the, I, I like start to ask a question and Dolly's asking it. You know, she's just so intuitive and, and she makes the people 
relax and open up. And so after you've heard one of her interviews, you really feel like you know the person. So he starts out, and by the first hour, I'm so mind-bended that I'm going like, "We got, I got to talk to this guy, I got to talk to this guy. And uh, so at the halfway mark, she said, you know, there's these people, they are always kidnapping my guests. Would you uh, allow yourself to be kidnapped? And he agreed. So he went on to say what? For another two hours. So he does a four-hour show, and then um, Emily Norcross, who was our co-host on Say What?, managed to convince him to go for five hours into her show because she's got an hour show following ours. The man was astounding, absolutely astounding. Um, what do you know about him initially? Because what happened was that I was following him. He started blogging in 2012, and he started um, with the banking and all the, the hoopla that was going around regarding the, I can't even remember what the accountant was now, but, you know, <clears throat> they're going to reset everything and everybody's not going to have any debt and all that. You know, I can't remember what it was. Heather was one of the people that was involved with it. But anyway, he got involved in blogging about this, and um, the first thing that he had blogged about was the bankers and how many bankers seemed to be um, uh, retiring or leaving or dying, and that started the blog very, very, very quickly. And then he got into the banking, and so he had quite a bit of followers. Then he encounters um, Corey Good in the Sphere Alliance, and one of the people that he was working with started to get communications from the Sphere Alliance. So he ended up working with, and her name is Denise, and so he w started working with her asking questions that he had of the Sphere Alliance. And he said that he hasn't posted quite a bit of what they actually told him, um, but that, you know, he, he, he just, he absolutely, he could answer the questions and details that only somebody who really understands much more could do. And he started out with her. Um, and what I want to do now is because I know you haven't seen it, Walt. And I know that, that some of our people have, but there's a lot of people out there that have not actually heard what he said. So I thought we'd do kind of like instead of Simon said, we're going to do what Terran said because he uses Terran, a.k.a. the American Kabuki. So um, I'm going to call him Terran. Now, he started out and he started talking about the main, major changes. And he said that what we should be feeling is a feeling of well-being and that headaches and aches and pains and problems that we were having um, are, are dissipating. They're, they're, you're starting to feel this feeling of bliss and joy, which is what I used to feel in the 90s. That's the energy that was very prevalent in the 90s. I, I I never felt down. I never felt troubled. I never felt worried. I never felt fearful. I was always feeling safe. I was always feeling joyful. I was always feeling happy. Everybody seemed to be doing well. And then, boom, you know, we jump timelines and, uh, you know, you go the other way. Oh, God, I'm always thinking about something happening. And, you know, you worry and you, you have all sorts of issues that are happening. Well, when I hit the... On Sunday or Saturday, when I Saturday night, but I th see, I think it's 
I think that the fact that he was able to present this five hours of information was critical to the time change that uh, Andrew was talking about. Uh, this this something changed drastically. Of course, I didn't. Andrew didn't get into it, or if he did, I know now why I don't resonate with the guy because when he's talking, I don't understand what he's saying to me. I get bits and pieces of, you know, all of a sudden it's getting clear. Yeah, he waxes poetic, so he loses the audience that way. He's very, he's, he's very difficult, but also he may be in a slightly higher frequency and, and the rest of us just can't quite get there to follow him. Cause JP mentioned that when he first started, um, with Andrew years ago, he was like, I don't know what this guy's saying to me. And then, you know, some months later, maybe years later, all of a sudden he goes, oh, now I understand what Andrew was talking about. I don't have that kind of history with him, but I could feel that what he, he knew what he was talking about. And, but, you know, what I did get out of it is that, you know, there's this major thing that happened like on July 16th. And on July 16th, we had Karen on five hours of radio live. I think that was major um, because of the message that he was was bringing to us okay um, what he said was that let me just go through this just a second um, okay what he's saying has happened is that the sphere alliance which you and I got kind of introduced to when Corey Good came on the on the scene and started talking about it. Um, why don't you tell what do you remember what Corey was was saying about the Sphere Alliance at that time? Uh, what I remember he spoke about himself uh, in the sense that from the moment that he was a small child, five or six years old, he was a subject of my lab, which stands for military abduction, and he would be trained to be empathic, to be an empath. So the um, they in uh, in the beginning of the training, what they do is use these individuals like him when they go to these meetings with these extraterrestrial uh, um, uh, members of different groups and different civilizations, they would, even though they didn't understand the language, they were scanning for emotional reactions from the speakers. So that way they could relay to the people that they were answering to, you know, that, that character over there, he's saying one thing, but he's actually lying. We can feel the nervousness in him. So that was, that was the, where he was coming from, but he was no longer involved in that. He had, he was, he's considered just, you know, a civilian individual. Uh, but I, I don't remember precisely how he got involved. Um, I know that the reason that they, uh, when this fellow Gonzalez contacted him, and Gonzalez is not the actual name of this person, it's just an alias that he uses to protect the identity, uh, approached him. The issue was the, the military of the secret space program don't want Corey Good because he's a civilian, but they didn't have a choice because the Sphere Being Alliance had specifically requested him to be a representative and a relayer of messages. 
And for that purpose, he he's explained that I I remember reading more than once that when the sphere alliance wants to contact him, you'll see like a blue sphere go come into the room, and when he comes in contact with it, he gets you know zapped out of here and appears somewhere else. So that became commonplace for him, being teleported instantly from his house. Uh, but uh, later on, when there were instances of him having to be present at meetings of the SSP, the Secret Space Program, uh, he he would be transported through these, you know, spacefaring shuttlecraft that are able to leave, you know, the Earth and go to other bases. But uh, I knew that he was there, but the SSP people always frowned at his presence because... They see him for what he is, you know, a civilian. What the heck is he doing here? There's, there's this very heavy set-in military mindset in the SSP. But they specifically requested him. That's how That's how I know he got involved. It's not something that he actually wanted. Well, he's, he's had direct contact with him then, and um, Taryn has had the contact through Denise. But also, he, he probably has been intuitively, you know, well, chosen to, he's been chosen because he's got the kind of frequency or he's got the, the, you know, soul, soul heritage to be doing a job right now that puts him in the position that he's in. And he does have, seemingly have very accurate, in my opinion, now this is my opinion because, I mean, we all got our own stories. We're all, all seeing reality the way that we're seeing it. But this guy's reality and my reality were like meshing. I didn't see anything that even tweaked me as being something that I didn't, you know, go along with. Uh, and he says that, that good is actually, yes, very much what he's saying is, is very true, but that he's only working with blue avians. Um, and that the Blue Avians are only one part of the Sphere Alliance that has well over 4,000 uh, civilizations, solar, extragalactic, extra... Now, he doesn't like the word dimension. Mm. He thinks that um, the concept of dimensions indicates a concept of separation and hierarchy. And without a doubt, that's the one message that you get when you listen to him is that we're all source every one of us is source there is no separation we're just playing different roles in you know existence and in, in the expression of life but we're all the same there is no hierarchy uh, even at the angelic level they have a deep respect for humanity it's they don't think of themselves as being higher beings well but I don't see when they speak of dimensions in that sense, um, I, I became quite familiar with the definition of dimensions as presented in the Law of One books, the RAM material, where dimension does not denote importance or hierarchy. It just denotes uh, density. And, and it, it denotes in what happens in the, in the RAM material, which can be confusing to the reader at first, that they uh, uh, re- uh, refer to when they speak higher density dimensions, they're speaking of, you know, fifth, sixth dimension, seventh dimension, and what it is, the what the dimensions are is just 
a realm where there's a uh, there's a specific kind of signature frequency. So, for example, uh, we have this physical expression, but at the same time, we don't have a single body. You know, we have 12 layers of bodies. And for example, the etheric body, which is the what the nearest body to the physical, uh, can people unless you have people you have psychic vision and you have open third eye and stuff like that. Normally walking down the street, you don't see people's etheric body. Why is that? Because the etheric body is vibrating at such a frequency that is actually sitting in a higher dimension than the 3D. So it's not denoting importance when they speak of the dimensions. They're denoting, okay, this is where they're living. They're living in the ninth dimension because that's how high their frequency is. Does that make them more important than us? No, because as you said, everything is one with source. They're just well, I, I think he, I think he would agree with that. I think what he was talking about is the way that it's being used by people. That yeah, somebody who's in the sixth dimension is a higher being, knows more, is more important. You know that we we want to be in the fifth dimension. You know he, he that was what I think he was talking about was oh. the the yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense because uh, a lot of people make that assumption. Oh, this entity is from sixth dimension, and they must know everything there is to know, right? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> if they yeah, did, why a, are they here interfering and playing with all of this? <laughs> they're just another version of the source, and you know, not better or just different. You know, that's that's it. It's just different. Um, what what got me, and 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 he started this thing off pretty quick in the in the five hours. He had had a near-death experience, experience, and he goes through, you know, some detail of what that all entailed. But then he says to, De- to Dolly, do you want to hear what happened at the end of the NDE? And she's like, well, yes, yes, yes. Now, this is... I didn't even pick it up the first time around. It was the second time around. This is a, a recent experience for him or very long ago? No, this was back in 2012. No, I'm oh. sorry, 29, 2009. He, well, he was, uh, it was MRSA that the doctors finally said he had, but God only knows it might have more likely an attack of some sort, but he, what's, uh. What's MRSA? Um, it's a, uh, I think it's a potent virus. Or it's it's a I think Colleen, do you know exactly what it is? MRSA? It's some kind of a, a an infection or that can get right through your systemically through your system. Is that do you know more about it than that? Well, I know that it's an infection and that antibiotics won't touch it. Yeah. Um, a lot of people who go to the hospital, whether it's they're having surgery or not. Uh, come out with MRSA. Now, supposedly we all carry it, just like we all carry a cancer thing, but somehow it's activated or something in the hospital, and it's uh, very, like I said, antibiotics won't touch it. Um, I know that some people have been able to get rid of it, through natural sorts of things, or at least that's what I've heard. But uh, 
I know Dad went to the hospital, and when he come back home, he said they told him he had it. Uh, one of my daughters went to the hospital, and she contacted it in there as well. And uh, they have to keep them longer, blah, 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 you know. But it's, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Well, he, that's what they said that he had. He's, you know. Um, but what happened was that um, he, he proceeded to tell a story about the end of this near-death experience. Now, for those of you who have been with us from the get-go, you'll know the stories. But it becomes important right now to kind of like go back in time. I wish I had that thing that JP plays. You know, back in time to when Walt and I first got together and started talking about building a new reality. Now, the concept there is that, as Walt finally realized and explained, is that the old reality is working perfectly well. Why would we change it? It was designed to keep us in the dark, keep secrets from us, to keep knowledge from us. It's working perfectly. So we decided that it was a lot, maybe impossible task to be able to change the old reality. So if reality is what we think it is, why don't we just take a piece of space and place and create a new reality? Now, at the time, that sounded like crazy, but we call this show, you know, reality sci-fi. Well, then, we were into the Shungite. Walt was working with different devices that are based on Oregon and Shungite and probably things we don't even know yet. And he creates a, a cube. Um, why don't you just kind of explain what the cube is, Walt? Uh, well, the cube was... Um a variant of, uh, I had first developed for you the Shanghai spiral. So there's a, this implosion coil spiral and it's activated by the presence of Shanghai that's making the connection between the ends of the wire. So, um, if I'm, <laughs> I make so many things where I get images in my head and I, they don't leave me alone until I make it that I don't remember whatever drove me to make the cube. I just knew that I had to get six spirals together, and that's exactly what I did. I made six of the Shanghai spirit spirals. I also uh, used very thin wire to wind uh, like a cluster of Shanghai that would sit in the center. So, okay, it's a cube. What am I going to do now? I need to encase it in resin, so I made... a. The, uh, using the aluminum tubing and shungite beads that you sent me at that time, I I made the the cube uh, uh, frame where these things would sit inside. And as I was working on it, it made me realize um, because I'm thinking everything I've done is like tetrahedrons and triangles and four-sided pyramids, and I'm thinking why a cube? And then it hit me that when you look at um, the platonic solids and you see the uh, the progression, you know, this platonic solid gives way to this one and this one gives way to this one and, and so on, uh, they actually represent those densities of dimension that I spoke of before. And the cube specifically 
is representative and resonates with the sixth dimension. So I realized as I was, you know, coming to the end of making that, that, oh, okay, now I see why they wanted this in a cube form because it's able to resonate with the sixth dimension. And then that means that they can access it and avail themselves of the energy of this, like a kind of doorway in a way. And you guys, when you try taking pictures of it, it wouldn't, you couldn't get a, a yeah, clear what, picture what, of it. You get fuzzy yeah. pictures. Yeah. What was it? <laughs> 10 pounds of resin or something? The thing oh yeah. It was more than a, more than a gallon went into making the cube. <laughs> so he sends me the cube and, um, well, let me, let me put, let me tell you this. What he did was he got me on Skype because we had just done a radio program and he said he was making this thing and that he had, his face had been burnt. And he looked like a lobster. And I said to him, you know, well, I'll, I'll Skype you after the show. And I did. And when his face came up, I was like, oh, my God. I mean, I've never seen anybody with a sunburn that bad. And um, he's, he, he, he plunks this big, huge cube up in front of the camera. And I nearly got blasted right out of my chair. And I'm like, Gaia, what am I going to tell him? And she says, tell him to turn it off. So I said, turn it off. And he says, what? And I said, turn it off. He says, how do I do that? I said, I don't know. Just turn it off. Tell it to turn off. So he goes into a, a focused meditation in order to turn this off. And I'm trying to help him from my side. And I feel it shut down. But he says to me, I don't think it turned off. I said, yes, it did. Just put it on the ground and ground it out. So he picks it up. And he now I don't see him because he's leaned down and put it on the floor. And when he came back up and put it back in front of me and he looked it in the camera, his face was completely okay. There was no red at all. Um, that's when we started learning about the fact that you can turn these things on and off. And so we decided we better reprogram it to stay off when he ships it to me because we didn't want it to be going through the U.S. postal system doing whatever it could have done, you know. So we, I get it here and... Um, I put it in the, I said, where should I put this? And it was like right in the middle of the living room. Now this, this house has got quartzite floors, which means it's, it's, uh, it's like quartz all through the house. And so the, the cube is sitting on this floor. And I, I told it to turn on and it, it starts cooking and, I, and it started to get, it was like exponentially getting more powerful. And I said, okay, all right, I think maybe we're high enough level because I didn't know where it would go. And so it sat there for, I don't know, 10 days maybe, just kind of purring, you know. And the weird thing was is that none of us, not the cat, not the dogs, I had two of them at the time, not me, nobody ever tripped over this thing. It was right in the middle of the living room. So then Stephanie comes over with um, her sister, and she walks in the door, and she looked at it, and she said, "I that thing doesn't feel like it's even on. And I said, no, it turned itself off. And so we sat there, and we kind of, like, communicated with it, you know, what, what are we supposed to do? And we we were both getting the, um, the image of it had to go out in the yard in a sacred space that we've worked for decades uh, that we call the Merkaba. And so we decided, okay, well, let's do that. And I pick it up and I start to move it. And as I touch it, it starts to turn on. By the time I get out the back door, I laid it down on the, on the fireplace and, and backed away from it because it was, 
it was just the energy was just increasing and I didn't know what it was going to do and I was trying to get into sacred space I'm trying to be this you know really grounded sacred person I'm going to do this amazing thing I don't know what it is but it's going to be amazing and the cat I don't know what it was but the cat or the dog or somebody stepped on somebody and there was this loud scream like a screech and it was like it just cut through me and I was like I don't care about being sacred I want to get this thing where it's supposed to be and I grabbed it and I was virtually running out to the Merkaba and Steph's following me and out there there's a uh, a glass dome that had all sorts of other things in it. I said, let's just put it in the glass dome. So we pull it off. We put it in there. We put the glass dome back on it. And I'm looking at it, and I can't I can't focus on it. It's like vibrating. And, it, and then I'm looking at it, and I'm going, like, what's happening? Because if you ask the questions, you'll get the answers. And then they said it's phasing in and out. And I didn't know that you had made that connection to the sixth uh, dimension, but both Stephanie and I felt it was phasing out to the sixth dimension and coming back and forth. Uh, they tried to take a, I didn't, I, I wouldn't, if I'd known this, I wouldn't have allowed it, but, uh, her sister was with us, Chris, and she's trying to get a picture of it, and I, you know, and she says, I, I can't get it focused. And so, you know, I realized, okay, she can't even focus a camera on the thing. And, um, so we basically just left it there, you know, phasing in and out and in and out and in and out. And it took, it, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was at least 24 hours before it seemed to settle down, and you can actually get a visual, solid picture of it when you're looking I at it. I think it settled once I made that other device that I showed you, the, the Shangaya. Remember, it looked like a like a pot belly thing. There were two coils. Right. I don't remember what you know the timing. I hope we've got mm -hmm. records of it, but it did it did settle down and. Um, so then we kind of left it there. Well, to make a long story short, we ended up getting the, uh, after that, he gets, he makes a reality dialer that allows us to take other spirals that he's making that are, um, re let's say, emitting frequencies like of joy, of uh, abundance, of, uh, oh my God, I don't even know, there was at least two dozen of them that we were putting in there because of anti-tyranny. Yeah, yeah, anti-tyranny. Um, the rose, uh, the pink rose for protection. I mean, it, it was it, it was all sorts of, of spirals that were being put into this reality dialer, which was really a radionics box that was uh, the shungite was was involved in the circuitry. So, and we keep them in there until I got I got a, a you know the message. All right, we want another one in there. And what was happening is that this reality dialer was tied into what's really a, a crystal computer. Uh, it was, it's a, it was a pile of every, I mean, almost every imaginable mineral that you could have in a normal environment. I mean, there's ruby, there's emeralds, there's diamonds, there's, uh, quartz, there's, uh, green quartz, there's tourmaline, there's syrup. Every, everything I had was, a piece of it was on this slab of quartz, and it, I'd just been doing this for years, and when I first worked the uh, reality dialer, it likes, well, the spiral was the first thing. You sent me the first spiral, Shungite spiral, and that was that when I brought that into that room, they had me put it very close to this pile of, to me it was a pile of, of minerals, and as soon as I placed it where they wanted it, all of a sudden these minerals started to emit, like boom, like they'd just gotten turned on. 
And I asked, what's happening? And that's when they told me that this thing was really a computer system. So then the next piece was the reality dialer, and then there's the, the cube that's out in the, out in the Atlantean vortex area. So what happened was that as we would put in these energies, they would go through the computer system and be transferred to the cube. And the cube was locking them in to place and space, creating a new reality. Now, whether this was a fiction of our mind or not, we were at least having a good time doing it. You know, and we're, we're building a story, a story about building a new reality. Um, kind of unbeknownst to me, um, Dolores Cannon had been talking about uh, two worlds, two Earths, that there would be a, a, an old Earth and a new Earth, and that, you know, they would just sort of kind of exist simultaneously and then sort of pull apart. Um, maybe the what we were doing was kind of enacting a storyline in order to explain how that happened. Because Anelia Benz taught us that, yes, you can change out your, your kitchen table just by changing it out, making a change to the molecular configuration of what you got there to begin with. But in 3D, you need a story. So the story is is that you, you know, put this out on the street because you've replaced it with something you bought from the store. Same effect, but could have been done a lot easier. And that's when Walt and I began to understand you have to have a storyline in order to do certain things in the 3D. And, you know, we're just kind of like stumbling through this and learning as we go. So we've got this cube out in the in the yard that in our storyline, is sort of like locking in a new reality that's based on the components of emotions and of um, sort of like stipulations as to what we want to see in a new reality locked into it because of this reality dialer and, you know, and this went on. We went on show after show putting in, telling about putting in the new energies and, all that. And then, I, 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 okay, so now I'm seeing like a structure. I'm seeing almost like a superstructure of this new reality that's still kind of tied to the old reality. But my question was at that time, what, what are we building? I mean, okay, we got all these things that are, you know, have to be part of the new reality, but what are we building? And just at that time, we started becoming aware of the, um, SSP, the secret space program. I mean, we knew about it, but now it began to trend, and we started finding out more and more. And Corey Good came out, and Randy Kramer came out, and you know, it, it was it was the trending thing was to oh my gosh, they got the super uh, the secret uh, space program, which then I began to realize looks like space. Uh, uh, what do they call it? Star Trek, and I started calling it the Star Trek universe. All right, so. What happened on Saturday is this Terran tells about the last part of his NDE. And I really probably should have taken the, the segment and, and played it here, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to tell you, you know, what he said. Um, he said that he was in this really nice place. It was all white. It was all friendly. Everything was good. And all of a sudden, somebody approached him in this, you know, he's a near-death experience, 
um, somebody approaches him and that he felt really kind of bad about I mean, he didn't like them. There was something negative about them, and he felt it. And then he is shown, are you ready for this? A hypercube. Okay, he calls it a hypercube. <laughs> All right? And he said that he I couldn't figure out what he was saying. It was something, it sounded like a, it was a hypercube Tesla act was what I heard him say. I know it was Tesla, but I don't know. It, it kept sounding like act no matter how many times I played it back. And I meant to look this up if I could find it. But anyway, he's talking about this hypercube. Uh, that he's looking at and he described it and he, you know, some other things about it, but it's this hypercube. And remember, we got this cube, this reality cube, we call it, that's jumping between the sixth and the third dimension out in the yard. And so he's, these, this entity it t- says to him, we need to change this. We need to stop this cube. Oh. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. And he said, no, I can't do that. People will die, right? Because one of the stipulations in the new reality is nobody gets left behind. If you don't agree, if we don't build a new reality, no matter what happens, people are going to die. If we go into the new reality, nobody dies. And and so he he says, no, I can't do that. And he said, as soon as he rejected this mission to stop this cube, he ended up in the hospital bed. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, you know, coincidence and synchronicities no, are thoughts and action. So, so what, what was his, um, reaction to when you explained the existence of the cube? Oh, I didn't. I never well, had didn't. the conversation. No, I never had the conversation with him. Okay, oh. Because, because I, I didn't, when I, when I listened to the, the Dolly show, I didn't pick up on this. I remember him talking about, you know, but something got in my way. I, I just lost focus on the cube thing until I went back today to listen to it again. And that's when I went, oh, my God, no wonder I wanted to talk to this guy. It's too bad I didn't realize what it was about. <laughs> wow. But, <clears throat> okay, so. Um, yes, he was, he was, he, he, he felt um, that, this afterlife thing that had happened, this uh, near-death experience, was a test. And that he passed the test and was sent back. And when he got here, he felt like he had a mission to change the world. <laughs> you know, sorry, well, too, clo- it, too close. Too close. mission to change the world. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then he started talking about this Tesla cube um, is is a co- construct of the illusion. In other words, uh, he I think he was taking away. I, I mean, his his reading on this cube was so close to what the reality cube is that you go, oh, he's got to be talking about the same thing um, because it it. Um, Okay, if, if, if he had done anything to it, he said, had I modified it, essentially, there would have been no end to the drama of the, this reality. Mm. It would have just gone on and on and on. Alright? But because he didn't muck with the reality cube, it, what we, what we said was happening is happening. 
So then... I don't think he could have. Well... Because that's the thing about Shanghai. You know, we, we've talked about this so many times. You can't use it for evil purposes. So he would have had a, 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 what do you call it, an unpleasant surprise had he attempted to muck with it, in, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, but he wouldn't have been given the choice if he was going to muck with it. I, I think it was one of those tests. Oh. You know, that, no, it's not, and a story, it's all story. Remember, we're telling a story. It's a great addition to the story. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so... um and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stay on the, um, on this, this, this kind of a thread because when, by the time I, I get to realize that I want to talk to the guy and he gets on, say what? Um, he, he had just gone two hours. So I said, okay, I said, just sit back and relax. You don't know me. I'm going to introduce myself by telling a story and you can just relax for a little bit, you know, just get yourself comfy. So I proceed to tell him the story about <clears throat> the <clears throat> excuse me the um, shamanic journey that you took where you ended up in the cave and you saw the blue avian and myself. Oh yeah, uh-huh. you remember that? You want to talk about that? Tell that story. I don't remember it in detail. Uh, if if you might remember it better because you, okay okay you, you, you remote um, viewed it. Yeah, I did remote view it. I didn't tell him that, but I did remote view it. Okay, so um, what Walt saw was this blue avian. Now, what do we mean by a blue avian? Well, a blue avian is a bird-like humanoid. I mean, their arms and legs and everything. It doesn't have wings. But the face is very bird-like, very beautiful, incredibly beautiful. Uh, the reason I can say that is because when Walt told me about his shamanic journey, I could remote view where he went. Uh, if he goes someplace and he's leaving a signature... I can follow the signature and see what he sees. So I was standing behind Walt, who was watching me in this blue avian, and the blue avian uh, reached out and gave me something. Now, that's about all that the, the, the journey was, but, you know, it was like, okay, blue avian gave Nancy something. What's this mean? Well, no. So a little bit after that, Walt gets another thing in his head about some kind of a device, and he sends it to me, and that was the, the quantum zapper system, Walt. And so I set it up, but it doesn't, and it comes on, but it doesn't feel like it's really got a lot of power behind it. And I was trying to figure out, well, what am I supposed to do with this? How does it operate? And I got the download that there was a second piece. It was actually another piece. So I said, okay, so... A couple of weeks later, Walt sends me the other piece. He doesn't know that why he's building it. I never. Yeah, said it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a prototype to deal with uh, smart meters. It was uh, that triangle thing, and uh, I put that uh, seal of the Syrian Council in the in the middle of the triangle, and it had uh, the three magnets set up in a specific pattern, because the the purpose of that device is that we found out that when you sandwich a magnet in Shanghai, the magnetic lines actually accelerate way faster than their normal speed is supposed to be and it starts producing and I thought, in my limited perception, I thought it was producing uh, tachyons, but since you were remote viewing it, you saw that it was producing neutrinos 
And I said, well, if that's what you see, I'm not going to argue it. I'm not a remote viewer, so if that's what you it see. Wasn't, it wasn't huh? even remote viewing. It was looking at it and saying, <laughs> and saying, what is it? No, because what happened, you remember that, um, okay, so so I get this thing, and it's it's a triangular base, and it's got like a sphere on top of it. Um, and it, the sphere has got a flat base, so it's sitting on top of the triangle. And they were very specific that it had to be over the fish tank. They needed the water of the fish tank. And so I had to put it over the water of the fish tank. And then I had to align it with the cube, that, I mean the um, the zapper uh, device that was on the other side of the room. So it was about 20 feet between the two devices. And they were very specific on, you, I had to, I had to, Line them so that they had, you know, that they were completely aligned with one another, and then the energy just, you know, boom, jumped. And so it's up there, and I walked by it one day, and I looked, and I said, "Oh man, that thing is for some reason really off kilter." And I put my hand so that my entire hand was right over the um, sphere, and I got such a jolt of energy that it kicked me back away from it. And for eight months, I had problems with that arm before it finally got taken care of. And when that happened, I'm like, what the hell just happened? Well, you just put your hand through a neutrino field. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that's how I, that's how and, I. And the, and the crazy thing was that you were able to, uh, specifically, you were able to feel the pain in the arm. When you made that pose, the same pose that you used to touch it, you said to me, every time I, I, I make that movement, that same gesture that I used to touch it, that's when I get, I feel the, the more intense pain. Yeah, that was the only time. There was no aching. There was no, I mean, it was, it was a, speci a specific position would just, it was like somebody stabbing me. And it would be just an instantaneous of it. It was the most peculiar thing. I've never had anything quite like it. Um, but anyway, so, but when I set the, when I set the, uh, system up, I sat back down and I'm looking at it and I'm going like, well, okay, what's this about, you know? And I get this, uh, it's like, it's, I can feel, is it, I can feel where, when somebody's talking to me, like the spirits and the ETs or whoever's talking to me, I know who it is because I know their signal and I know where it's coming into my head. And this signal came in, and I'd never felt it before. And um, I was like, "Whoa, who are you people?" And they said, "Well, we're the Blue, Blue Avians." And so I immediately checked with Gaia: "Is this a real thing? Is this really happening? Are they your friends? You know, what should I do?" And she was like, "Yes, they're our friends. I called them here. They're helping out. They're going to keep everybody under control." The, the thing she told me was that the Sphere Alliance was here to Police, police the area, the solar system, um, while this great transition occurred and that nobody could possibly muck with it. Right? That's what, that was what I got from her. So I am saying, all right, all right. So then I go back to the transmission and I'm like, okay, so what is this thing about? And they said, it's a, it's a beacon. And I said, why would you need a beacon? You're the blue avians. You've come from someplace I don't even know where. And you need, why would you need a beacon? And the response was to know where the real reality is, to know, to know which reality. Um, so. Which would I, make sense because if they're, if they're looking from a, from the vantage point 
of a higher density, they would be looking uh, at multiple coexisting realities. You know, which one is the one we want to work on or which one is the one we want to fix our attention on. Yeah, they could geologic, geographically in the 3D get here, but then you're into the concept of different realities. So, you know, how do you know which reality, which timeline, if you want to think of it that way? Um, what they were looking for was the timeline where the human beings had awakened to a point that the sphere alliance would be allowed to, to help, that would be allowed to, to, to succeed. If the human beings weren't ready, if, if Terran wasn't there for the message, don't muck with the cube. If Denise wasn't there to be able to, um, you know, feel comfortable thinking that she's talking to some sphere alliance and, uh, you know, doing it telepathically. If none of that was available to them, then they wouldn't be able to succeed. So they needed to know where the, re- to, where the reality was that they, that they were looking for. So he said, I'm going to ask about it. <laughs> so we go through the, uh, the rest of the, uh, I don't know, it was very close. It was probably in the last 20 minutes or so. No, it was a little more, probably in the last 45 minutes. He's saying something and I'm just like, oh, I was so engrossed in what he was saying. And all of a sudden he stops talking and he's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, oh we just got a message in from the Sphere Alliance regarding the beacon. And I didn't really understand what he said to me. He read it, but apparently they used shorthand or something. And he says, well, what I take that to mean is, yes, it did its, it did its job. They're all docked around the solar system and you don't, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be on anymore. It worked. They got here. They're here. <laughs> now. So you, so you shut it off? Uh, no, actually, um, it had already shut itself off. I had checked it earlier. It didn't feel like it was on, but they also told me not to, not to mess with it. Um, but what I did do with it was I said, well, you know, you don't have a job right now, so can you, um, you know, neutrino blast the entire Skype system that works with Wolf Spirit and Ever Beyond and Haggy Shack and never let us go down again? And they seem to be doing that, hopefully. Yes. Um, Okay, so now it's the top of the hour, and when we come back, I'm going to um, go into what it was that Terran said is happening, and uh, please don't leave now, uh, because it's it's just too damn interesting. Uh, you guys got some music? I do, I do. Alrighty, we are back. Our friend Terran. What he is saying is, is happened is that the Sphere Alliance and the Sphere Alliance is, like I said, over 4,000 different civilizations. He said that some of them are in sphere. He said that it started out with the Palladians and the Octurans in order to, um, save themselves during some war, uh, created these, these spheres so that they could essentially escape and that the, the biggest sphere that he knows about, he called the new, uh, Neptune, the Neptune uh, sphere, and that it's as big as Earth. He said that they were in this throughout the solar system. Now they were all parked. That there's they're all around us, and that they uh, have already begun to um, sort of go semi uncloaked so that people would see them, and that those cities of lights that were being seen in China, you know what I'm talking about, Walt. 
Yeah, where people were seeing it in the, like the mist. They were looking where it, it would be. There would be like a fog, and then you're looking, and like right over the fog, you would see the outlines of these cities. Right. They were spooky. I must say that they. I couldn't imagine what they were. But he says that um, that's the spheres uncloaking to a degree so that they could be seen, and that um, there is no separation, and that you know it's, it's the same thing that so many people have been saying. You know that there is no separation. That we have all this illusion is just keeping us blind from what is real, um, really real. <laughs> And they're, they're, they are about, well, what Dolly said to, well, they're, they're about to show themselves. And the reason that they can do this is that, well, we got, to, he and I got to talking about, uh, the Star, Star Trek. And I told him what you had said, Walt. I said, well, you know, cause he'd been talking about the secret space program through Dolly's show. And I said, well, you know, that, that's sort of like we call it the, the Star Trek gener- uh, Star Trek universe. And he went, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I said, and you're familiar with Star Trek? Oh, I love Star Trek. You know, and I said, okay. I said, Walt says that while the secret space program was out there creating the Star Trek universe, here on Earth we were learning how to become the Q continuum, which are demigods. They're powerful beings that can time trip at a women go any place they want and he laughed so hard i mean we we just had a real chuckle about that so he did appreciate that gem of yours walt um (laughs) i got i got you know of course my my major concern with the out-of-towners and of course the sphere alliance i would suspect has to be out-of-towners um is that you can't muck, it's, it's the prime directive. So I asked him, I said, well, in the Sphere Alliance, do they have the same prime directive that they have in Star Trek, i.e. that you cannot muck with somebody's society or civilization without the permission of that civilization? And I think he asked me, well, who, who who's going to make this, you know, representation? And I said, well, anybody that's awake enough to be able to make it, you know, to understand the ramifications of it. And then an interesting thing happened. This is the first time in what was now three hours. Um, he lost the question. And he proceeded to continue. It was almost like he started answering it, and then he jumped back to the conversation he had been having before I asked him the question. And he was uh, detailing that part of it more, and he completely did not answer that question. So... We get to near the end of the the end of the show, and I read him something that I had seen in the um, um, on his website that the Sphere Alliance had said, and I did mean to pick that up, but there it is. So how about that? Okay, and what I read him was the following, and it says, and this is a, a transmission from the Sphere Alliance. Okay, in in response to some question it was asked. All are creators of their own reality now. All former agreements and systems and controls and contracts are over all. And I said to him, is there anything you want to say about that? And he said, no, that's absolutely true. And then he proceeded to explain in detail how 
a woman by the name of Heather, and I suspect it's that Heather Tushi, I think her name is. I'm not sure what her last name is, the one that was involved in the banking to begin with. But again, I didn't have time to, to research it. But Heather, Heather is um, is a special being that I, I hope to be able to cover in a little bit, uh, who understood galactic law as well as 3D human law. And she put out a legal document last summer that basically stated um, the great experiment is over. And this comes from the concept of her being, and I said to him, I said, when he started to explain it, I said, oh, okay, so now you're answering the question that you didn't answer regarding the prime directive. I said, you actually have somebody who said this is enough is enough, it's over. As a representative of humanity, understanding all the ramifications of saying that. And he said, yes, it does. Yes, that's the way it happened. And yes, it only takes one awake person. So back when I was claiming dominion to keep the marauders from taking over the earth, they were telling me the truth. It only takes one person who is understanding it and is awake and can speak for humankind. You know, the free will thing. That not only do you have the the right to be able to use your free will, but you have a responsibility to use your free will in the name of humanity when humanity is all kept asleep. Now, may I say something sure, right sure. there at that particular point? That statement that one awake individual is qualified, is able to speak on behalf of an entire civilization, that, it, to me, is concrete evidence that supports uh, the notion that a civilization is like a, a, a like a body. It's a giant body, and the people that make up the civilization are like cells of that body. That's why the notion of money is absurd. Because imagine, does your do, do your blood cells have to pay the lungs rent for access to the oxygen they need? Do the organs in your body need to pay rent to the uh, red blood cells for the oxygen that they carry? If that were the case and you have organs that are starving for oxygen because they can't pay the blood, then you have a dead person very fast. All the cells in your body exist in cooperation. The well-being of one is the well-being of all. And that is the true mentality of any given civilization. Now, if this analogy that I'm making between a human body and a civilization were not true, it's absurd, then you could not have said what you just said. That's why the, the, the very notion of money is absolutely absurd. It's, that is the number one element of the great experiment, having had existed for thousands of years, enslaved to this notion of needing to pay for something. No, if everybody's working, if everybody's doing what they need to do, then everybody gets food, everybody gets housing, everybody gets clothing, everybody gets medical attention, because everybody is a cell of the civilization. If many people get sick, you know, it's it's hurting our body. But look at the look at the great experiment. Keep people sick because by being sick they're they're profitable. So if there is no money, there is no motivation to keep people sick. There's no profit. Why why bother keeping them sick? It's a Wasted effort, waste of material, waste of time. So you well, can we, see. We yeah. understand that it was a contract of survival. Yeah. 
You know, that, that, that there's all these subcontracts, but it's really the, the, the question of survival. We don't need to, we don't need to worry about survival. Everything is taken care of. The problem came in when these certain people decided to kind of like control the elements of survival. And now they're corporations that are controlling everything. Yeah, rainwater. <laughs> yeah, rainwater. Controlling rainwater. <clears throat> so, um, so in your opinion, you you're agreeing with the concept of of one person can speak for all. Yeah, it's to me it's proof positive of the other thing that I said. So yes, if you have an, an awakened individual. Because if we're all connected by the genetics, that's it. um, I have other evidence to back up what I said. The Colleen recorded interview with a psychic assassin by Inelia Evans for the radio. And for those that had a chance to listen to it or or read the book, the, the psychic assassin individual was trained to do exactly that. Scan the collective and wherever you see a person waking up, getting revolutionary ideas, eliminate them. Why? Because that one awakening individual was impacting the consciousness of a hundred thousand people around him. Like a domino effect. Like uh, ripples in a pond when you throw a stone. So that awakening individual is going to start awakening the neighbor. And that is going to start awakening the next neighbor. So no, we got to kill it, you know, nip it in the bud. That's another piece of evidence to support that notion. It takes one awake individual who can speak for the collective. And that, and that is, you know, this idea of being separate all the time, separate from each other. That's also, you know, one of the major distortions of this great experiment thing. Well, she, she wrote, Heather wrote the, um, <clears throat> the document that said human beings would no longer participate in this crazy-ass Nazi reality. Yeah. That supposedly happened in last last year, in the summer of last year. As of this week, you know, just prior to Saturday, there was another sit-down with the Sphere Alliance and the Dracos that are remaining and some of their cohorts and they signed a document that said it's all over they've stopped fighting they've surrendered whatever it's all over the experiment is all over he said we are about to have a party that will last a thousand years um so the only ones making trouble are the servants of the Dracos? The, exactly. The it's, it's exactly what we saw with the uh, tunnel situation in Switzerland. Yeah. That crazy-ass ceremony they had that was, you know, trying to call Lucifer from the den of hell and <laughs> was so amateurish. Okay. What's basically happened in, in my interpretation of this and is that the leadership Dracos have said, okay, we give up. We, we, we can't, you know, it, it's over. And so they're, they're basically less, left the stage. The Rockefellers, the, uh, uh, the Rothschilds, the Bushes, the Clintons, whoever else is out there, you know the names or don't know the names, but they're out there. Those people are so scared to death because the leadership has been cut off. The head's off the top of the, the pyramid. 
And so they don't, they started fighting amongst themselves. And so you start having all this deterioration in the financial thing, the lying, the cheating, everything that goes on is because they were losing. Well, now they're gone. And the Rothschilds, well, according to, to Ful, uh, Ben Fulford, um, a lot of the Rothschilds have already gone into hiding. Yeah, they're now living in, in Switzerland. Right. And well, that's where they think they are. I don't think they're there, actually. Um, but they may, but who knows? Um, it doesn't matter. They're, they're, they don't have any control either. But what's, what's almost, and he talks about it, he said that, you know, the, the minions, the people that are sort of on the ground controlling everything, even though the leadership is gone, they're still kind of like still trying to control, still trying to survive. Um, and so you, you're still getting the, the, Oh, this was this one. Was, I love this one. You know, we've had all a rash of these um, uh, terrorists attacking and terror things, and the truck running into those people, and you know, horrible things happening. But every time it happens, everybody goes false flag, false flag. Nobody is falling for it. All right. <laughs> now, the reason that nobody is falling for it is because there's a bunch of crazy people out there on the internet that have gotten all these pictures from these different terrorist uh, situations from the Boston bombing to uh, France where the same people are victims. It's It's been virtually proven that there is a bunch of actors who are acting out these tragedies. Yeah. As, a matter, as a matter of fact, somebody, I guess it was Mona, Mona uh, Radler says, she puts up this thing and she, it was from Craigslist and it was soliciting actors to do, um, stage terrorist events, uh, here in Miami. And she said, be careful. They're about to have a terrorist event. They're looking for actors. I guess it looks good in your resume, right? Crisis actor <laughs> for so many months. <laughs> you know, got my leg blown off in France and my head twisted. Yeah. I mean, come on. So anybody, the, the thing of it is that what I loved about this is that he says that, that a while back, and he wasn't definitive in, in when this happened, there was a change to the rules. And human beings were no longer going to be um, allowed to have uh, terrible things happen to them with somebody who made the decision to do it uh, not paying the energetic consequences. And so in order to not kill people and therefore break this law and get yourself, I don't know, creamed by a Wi-Fi signal that goes berserk um they're using actors so that they don't have to kill them off but they're still instilling the terror and the fear and i just thought that was i thought that was brilliant you know oh that's why they're doing that you know it's that's, not the gift it's the thought that counts <laughs> <laughs> you know it was just brilliant um okay so now you know that when in 1919 well it was it was 2000, it, when I was given the choice of jumping from the ascension line to the Nazi line, let's just call it Nazi reality because that's what it is, um, that when they when it was presented to me, I said, well, well will I succeed? Because I don't like to get into anything I might fail at. Um, and they said, yes. And then I said, will anybody be left behind? And they said, no. Now, I have listened to all these very exceptional people who have been in, in this 
search for truth uh, for, for decades in many cases who come out and they say, well, you know, a few people have to die before it all happens. And every time I hear this, I just absolutely shut down about that person. No, that's not the message. The message is nobody has to be left behind. And Dolly flat out asked him, what is going to happen? And he said, it's going to happen virtually, in, my words, virtually instantaneously. The illusion will be gone. Nobody gets killed. Nobody gets hurt. It just falls away. And you remember. And she said, so nobody, nobody gets left behind. He said, no. And she asked him, well, when is it supposed to happen? It's supposed to happen in a month, a month, two months, years. And he was very quiet for a little bit. And he said, in my opinion, it, it's weeks, if not days. This was on Saturday. Okay. Let's put it in the present. <laughs> let's, let, let's realize that, that we're talking about now. Now that everything we've been working for and in case in some cases struggling and suffering to get the truth out to make a difference like Taryn said when he came back you know into the 3D live again I need to change the world so many of us had this this feeling of a mission that most of us would never say to somebody well I feel like I'm going to change the world <laughs> You know, I mean, you don't walk around saying that because people think you're crazy. And then but, you realize that changing the world means you waking up. Exactly. You wake up, you change your reality, and it's a it's a, a domino effect. It's a chain reaction. Exactly. Because you you've been that's exactly the uh, even uh, David Wilcox speaks of this in one of his uh, lectures. That's the magic spell that they used. They enlisted our consciousness to create and sustain the reality they wanted for themselves because we were asleep or we agreed for it or what, for whatever reason it happened, that's the way they happened. So what happens if you wake up and subtract the energy of your consciousness from their little game? That's why it's reality is unraveling. There's nothing holding up their house of cards. Well, some things are still there, but they're they're falling quickly. And the more that, what did he say? Who was it that maybe it was just you that said that by changing the way you're thinking, you're really affecting a hundred thousand people? It's much more than that. It's exponentially, you know. Just people people are waking up all around, and they're going like, "Wow, what's different?" Yeah. You know, and. Everybody, you know, I mean, well, on JP's, when JP was with us, you know, he, he's saying, well, people have to make a choice, you know, whether they want to wake up or not. And I don't feel comfortable with that. And I'll tell you why. Kid is sleeping in the car. You just came back from a long trip. The kid's sleeping in the car. Do you wake the kid up and say, do you want to go in the house? Or you want to keep sleeping in the car? <laughs> no. You, as somebody who is awake, and aware, carefully pick the child up without allowing the child to wake up and put him in his bed. Now, when the kid wakes up and finds out he's not in the, the car anymore, 
He's in the bed. Does he freak out and say, oh, my God, I, what happened? No. Yeah. He gets up and goes on with his life. That's exactly. That's what I see and have seen from the get-go of how it's all going to happen. And he says, no, he says the illusion's going to fall away. And you know what? The houses are going to be there. The water's going to be there. The animals are going to be there. There's going to be species of animals that, you know, I was, I well, I was really lamenting the fact that some species had just gone extinct. And I was kind of, okay, so I might have been yelling and I might have been swearing about, you know, when is this going to stop? All these, these, these beautiful creations are just disappearing. And when is it going to stop? And Guy said, oh, don't worry about it. I, they're already in the new earth. And I was like, oh, okay, that works for me. And then months after that, Jean Rockefeller had, I don't i don't remember, if, I think it was a, she was meditating and ended up shamanic, doing a shamanic journey kind of thing. And she was, found herself someplace and she said, Nancy, there were animals there I've never seen before. And, blah, blah, blah. and I said, oh, you went to the new earth and you saw the <laughs> You saw the new animals, and she was like, oh, it's beautiful. So someday very soon, you're going to be going about your life, and all of a sudden, everything's going to change. And Dolly was concerned about, are they going to know it? Are they going to realize it? And he said, yes, because the major change is that Right now, um, George Patton was a, a, a previous lifetime that my higher self experienced. My higher self being, you know, source. So source as a experiences George Patton, and on his deathbed, George said, "I will remember." So then source says, "Oh crap!" He said, "They gotta remember. Oh, we better make somebody that can remember." So they create this Nancy Hopkins who comes in remembering, remembering everything George knew because she was never told that incarnation didn't happen. It doesn't happen. It was like, oh, okay. And then there was a lot of other people living in my brain, memories of past lives. I thought everybody did it until I was 12 years old. And somebody said, are you crazy? <laughs> well, along those lines, Dolly wants to know, Nancy, do you think that you and Taryn are connected? that you know each other from a time before or were maybe brought together on Saturday for a reason? Uh, we were definitely brought together for a reason on Saturday. As far as being connected, I think we're all connected to everybody. Um, I think that, okay, it goes back to the concept, one of the things in cosmic reality that I wrote as a cosmic reality rule and sort of understood, but knew that I really hadn't grasped the full implications of it. And I don't remember which rule number it is, but it's um, a rule that says there's an infinite number of souls. And again, the Sphere Alliance is saying that there, what's he call them? Let me see if I can find this. That there were, a, he calls them essences, Okay that there were 11 original essences and that those essences created a 100 other frequencies, which is considered the second wave of creation. And that that second layer, the 100 different versions of themselves, in essence, 
um, were the the myth, the gods of of myth, uh, Zeus and Thor and you know Athena and all of the gods were actually this hundred essences, you know, and again not a hierarchy as a refinement of creation, and that what we are is a mix of these various different hundred hundred frequencies and somehow the 11 original frequencies. So like Heather, supposedly, the reason that she woke up and was able to do this is she was actually one of the original 11 at some point in existence. But all of us are going to find that at some point in existence, we were one of the 100, we were one of the 11, or many versions of the 100, or many versions of the 11, but it all comes back to source. Everything we are is source. Everything we see around us is source. It's source energy. So there's no higher or better or whatever, but we're all connected at the source level. And what he's saying is the big change, the, the massive awakening is the fact that no longer will we not have access to all of the information that Source has. So Source, being omnipotent, begins to think, begins to create. And so the storyline, again, we're back to storyline. The storyline of creation is that Source thought up the 11 essences, the original essences, the first wave. Perhaps they are the angelic-looking ones. I don't know. He wasn't specific. Then they created a hundred other essences. So in, 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 those began to experience life, to just, you know, be this and be that and learn this and learn that. But never were we able to have a continuity of the knowledge. I had a unique position in that patented said, I will, I want to remember. So I did have that with him. I know what the man how he thought, how he did, I know him. I know many other personalities that my that are, I'm connected with. We're going to know everything. You want to know what, what, what it was like to be Abraham Lincoln? You're going to have that full concept. It's probably going to come to you as a holograph. You're going to probably feel like you're either remote viewing it or you're living it. And it'll happen at a fraction of a, a fraction of a fraction of an instant. And you'll know it. And you'll go, oh, oh, oh yeah, Abraham Lincoln. Okay, got it. You know, you want to become the first person to, to walk on the moon? Then you're going to, you're going to go there. You're going to be inside, you know, Neil Armstrong. You're going to be watching Neil Armstrong. You, everything, the, the amount, it's, okay, it's like Google on steroids, you know, times, a galaxy and a universe and, and whatever because all you're going to have to do is ask the question but duh that's what it's been like all around all the time for those people that are awake ask the question you will get the information but it now we're going to a point of instantaneous information you know you got that you started out with AOL and the, and the internet and um, I can't even remember that right was it AOL there was something that we used to search before Google, 
and then the, 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 the uh, BBSs. There was a bunch. Remember, of, remember when uh, you don't remember BBSs <laughs> back in 1994? I, I don't know the phrase you're using. The term BBS means bulletin board, and you used to use your computer. You used to use the modem connected to your phone line, and you would dial these phone numbers that would take you into a bulletin board, which was a text version of a website. And they were there for different reasons. There were government ones to look for information. There were libraries had some. Uh, you could do online games, text games. And all you would do is you would have to dial the number to the BBS. That's what we used before the Internet. I, I, I used to use it for... Well, that's before the Internet. What I'm talking about no. is just the search capabilities. I mean, when Google came along, the search capabilities were astounding, the jump that they made. And they've only improved so that, you know, I mean, everybody knows that if you got a question, Google it and you're going to get an answer. Yeah. Well, that's, that's where we're going is that, you know, now you, you, now you go into Google and you get the answer. But when, when, when this transition happens in the next week, <laughs> all of a sudden you're going to ask the question and have the answer. You're not going to even have to choose which, which website to look at. You ask the question specific. You'll get the answer. That's what he says is the massive change that's about to happen. Uh, Jim Self has been speaking to that for some years now when he does his workshop. He says the answer is at the point where you ask the question. And many people would look at him saying that and they didn't get it, but <laughs> now you do get it. <clears throat> also, uh, to go back to your analogy, of the child sleeping in the car and, you know, the parent taking it inside and putting the child to their bed. Uh, the This connection that we are, yes, all connected, we are the human collective, it's even bigger than that because uh, when Dr. Costa of the Institute of Thought in San Diego years ago, uh, when he would go around doing his 15-step workshop, uh, during the times where he wasn't teaching and we were just doing conversations, you know, somebody brought up the subject of UFOs and alien civilizations and some are good and some are bad and they're here, they're there and blah, blah, blah and Pleiadians over here and Pleiadians over there. So, and he just listened, you know, patiently and then somebody asked a question. Okay, so if they're so advanced and they can travel the universe and blah, 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 what the heck are they doing here in this backwater country? meddling in our affairs and he looked very serious and he says because they can't move forward unless we move forward there is no disconnection you know sentience consciousness it's all part of the oneness so if we don't make the grade if we don't survive if we don't evolve their evolution is screwed so yes they have to mind us and make sure we don't destroy each other and he he wasn't joking. He wasn't smiling. He said it in all seriousness. Well, he well, Taryn is saying that um, what happens on Earth is going to change everything, everywhere, every you know. That's why he says yeah. we're going to be celebrating for a thousand years. Uh, I'm up. I'm up for it. I like the good part. <laughs> you know. Um, shoot. Before you said that, I had something I was going to word. He, he also, um, 
Well, let's not go into that. Um, he was talking about Tolik's event. Somebody asked him about Tolik's event, and he said, well, it's actually been a rolling series of events. And, you know, I agree with that, but I say that, that the event they all were talking about was our discovering Shungite. That's my take on it. He talked about Antarctica and that there was an intelligence base there that was being sort of like a, uh, used by all concerned and um, that it was shut down. Um, he, made, he talked about the Nazis and the connection to the ETs. Now, they asked him about AI and he... Um, he kind of believed, well, you and I both know this, that the, the, the AI is just a, a program. We went back on the Arconian uh, situation and changed the AI programming. So that they, it, that's what killed the Archon grid. It wasn't necessarily that you had disconnected the, the signal. It was the fact that the Archon grid had been, that we, we put that sub-program in it. So that was, again, something that he sees AI as being not that big a deal, um, that you can't, you can't have an AI system that is going to be able to overpower awareness and consciousness. Correct, because it's existing, whereas the AI is only existing within the uh, EMF spectrum. It only goes as high as the etheric consciousness is not bound to any dimension. It, it's just, it is. It, it exists, it, it projects itself throughout all the dimensions. Even our own, we have 12 bodies, you know, each one of, of a higher density. So we are actually existing in places where the AI cannot go. So that AI thing is like you're watching uh, goldfish in a bowl. You know, that, that's, they're limited. They can only swim around the the, the the bold, uh, they can't go anywhere else. Whereas you're standing outside and you can put your hand in the bold or you're standing outside the bold. I don't know. And you can choose to feed them or not. Exactly. <laughs> he did talk about harmonizing the dark and light, which is within us all, but he was, he continually went back to the concept that everything is love, love frequency. And I, I did say, well, you know, there is the love frequency that's the source of all, but the love frequency can be, you know, have all these sub-frequencies within it, you know, so that you have all these, because he, he kind of like balked when I said it's an energy universe, you know, and, and it was like, no, it's love energy. Yes, yes, but the energy can take different forms, you know. Um, and he finally like, yeah, okay, yeah, but the, the most important thing is love conquers all. Dolly said, so you're saying love conquers all? And he was like, yes. Um, he did well, that's, talk- the, that's the sad thing about these. Uh, remember when we were speaking about uh, Simon and his being able to get out from under Anu's control or interference? Right. That's one of the things I was commenting in the chat. It's kind of sad that these beings are impervious to love and they have no receptors for it because with love, heck, you can even communicate with rocks and stones and crystals. Well, he was. To love. <laughs> he, he, he continually um, acknowledged the sentient being of minerals and, you know, animals and, and everything else. Um, but again, it was, you know, everything is connected. And that a, a mineral 
is is there to basically experience what it's like to be a mineral. But yep. the human being is in a position to experience so much more. So it's not it's not it's 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 not levels of experience, it's just types of experiences. We've all probably been a rock. I would assume we would have to have been. Well, that's the um um Paramahansa Yogananda, he, I don't know if he wrote it, but he would often quote a metaphysical poem, uh, regarding the divine, says how, how the divine sleeps in the rock, blooms in the flower, sings in the bird, and wakes up in man. It's everywhere. It's everything. That's a nice thought. <laughs> um, he also talked as the heart being um, that there is heart-based telepathy. He said that the telepathy that we use when we're using our pineal gland can be accessed by other people, but but that the heart is 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 sort of based on your own specific frequency and cannot be the heart. If you're sending a telepathic message through the heart on the on the frequency of love. That it cannot be interfered with. I guess it's like the ultimate secure yeah, communication. Yeah, uh, Melchizedek explains it in his book, Living in the Heart. Uh, and they, they, the explanation that they give, um, I, I've seen not not directly, but I've seen uh, mention of it in Yogananda's material, that in the issue of communication, like telepathic communication. The heart is the receiving station. That's why, for example, when an adept is ready to endure the energy of samadhi, the teacher comes over and what he does is he slaps the chest right over the heart and all of a sudden now the adept starts uh, going into the state of samadhi, which is actually an altered consciousness state. Because the, the heart is the receiving station for all that type of energy transfer. Um, I'm just looking through to see if there's, if there's something else. There's, there was so much in it, really. Um, yeah, he, he's, he, he said, he's talked about the I am as being an eternal essence that is in, in the human, the human being and that the I am consciousness, um, is, where you have access to all this information that you're 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 one again with source at least at that level, um, and it it should last for a very very long long time. Um, one of the things that I, I just howled about was the fact that we had been talking about the Star Trek universe and using it as examples, and he got off on a, a discussion of. Um, the corporations and how they're, you know, the, the normal corporation thing, how they they took over everything and everything's a corporation. And um, he, he says to me, he says, just think of it this way. It's a Ferengi. We're in the Ferengi reality. <laughs> <laughs> and for those that don't know Star Trek, the Ferengis were always buying and selling and buying and selling. That's all they ever did. Um, yeah, uh, Data and... They were introduced in an episode in Star Trek The Next Generation. They, they became a permanent fixture when 
they came up with the Star Trek DS9 series, the Ferengi became a fact of life because DS9 was not a, had been originally, uh, you know, a Cardassian station, then the Cardassians left Bajor, so the DS9 became like a trading post, you know, managed by uh, Starfleet personnel, Benjamin Sisko. But in the episode in Star Trek Next Generation where they were introduced, uh, it was Data who, in, in order to describe them better to the captain, because they don't have no notion of money, he says that they were comparable to the old uh, traders, you know, where they they travel all over the world trading on everything, you know, furs, commodities, whatever they can fa- find. <laughs> so that's that's where they were looking for the. We're always looking for the next thing to profit from. <laughs> well, the Ferengi are about to be expelled from apparently the entire universe. <laughs> um, but it comes down to the, to the concept of, you know, that we've all, we've all got the dark and the light in us. And, and one of the things, it was you, Colleen. You said that, um, wasn't it possible that we had people who were inside the machinery of the control that were enlightened beings and that, you know, it would fall apart from the inside. And he confirms that, too. He says that a lot of these light beings, I forget, he called them universals, um, that they're implanted within the structure of what is the control mechanism and that when when a source says it's time, these people will just kind of pull their pl- individual plugs and it'll all go away and the illusions will cease to exist and blah, blah. Nobody got hurt. We're in a new reality. He didn't muck with our reality cube. It's a great story. What, what more can I say? It's a great story. And if, if, if he's right, we're going to know, you know, rather quickly, um, one way or the other. You guys got us. We got about five minutes left. Do you want to say something here, either of you? I thought it was it was kind of fun getting to meet the other players in the story. <laughs> you know, we're we're doing our our thing, and we don't know who else is out there participating in the story. So I I think that was rewarding for you, huh? Um, meet- it just confirms, and plus the fact he's got a lot, he's got access to a lot more. Uh, let's say 3D details because they're talking to, I mean, you know, my attitude is if, if, if Gaia needs something, you know, that's the other thing. I didn't get into a question with him about Gaia. I'm not sure where they stand with the concepts of creator gods, that there are creator consciousnesses here for each of the planets. I believe that, you know, in addition to, uh, to Gaia, we have Terra for, Mars, and we've got Jupiter, all of them, Mercury, all of them, the sun, that there are creator gods. And my understanding is that the creator gods of the solar system really were the ones that said, okay, enough is enough. You know, and maybe maybe they're the 11 essences. You see 11 gods in a lot of mythology. You know, there's a lot of... If, if you take what he's saying, he, he could have learned all this from reading, you know, about ancient gods. Um, but 
if if we're looking at it from the standpoint of just the evolution of humanity, it's one thing. But this seems to go beyond that. It's the revolution, evolution of everything in the universe. And to me, that is absolutely includes creator gods, creator consciousnesses. And yet I'm not hearing people talk about them. I didn't ask him. I, it didn't occur to me to um, to ask him. Um, but my understanding from Gaia was that they called in, she and the others called the spheres in, the sphere alliance, to protect what was happening here, to, you know, let, let, let's just, everybody take, take it easy. We're bringing in the, you know, a policing action of people who are not really involved with the details on the ground. They're going to be here to keep everybody quiet and contained until common sense kicks in and Heather says, well, we're not going to let you do it in the name of humanity anymore. You can't muck with us like this. We're, claim- we're, we're enacting the prime directive. And so this the Sphere Alliance is here to just tidy up everything, to, to you know, clean it up. And it's the collective consciousness was vastly expanded on Saturday night when this man was allowed to speak for five hours. I personally am incredibly honored to have been there with him. Um, something was happening that night. We all felt it. We all knew it. And then it follows with uh, Andrew uh, Bartzis, you know, basically confirming that something happened on Saturday night. And what Karen is saying is, is he's announcing to the world, it's over. You know, give it a couple of more and when the perfect time when Source says everything is a go, the spheres are going to show themselves. But because we're already back in the ascension timeline, the ascension reality, everybody will be fine because that reality has continued to somehow been maintained by enough energy to continue while we came over here to this Nazi timeline to at least become aware of the problem, to, to, to think in terms of creating a new reality, to think in terms of, of we don't have to do this. So that by the time we get to this particular place in space, we colliding, the, the, the two are colliding. But because now we are still sort of in, in the other one, the Nazi one, and in the, the Ascension one, we can marry it up. We can pull it together without any kind of a big problem. No Armageddon, no screaming, no hollering. We're just, okay, here we go, here we go, you know, soft landing. Shh, nice. Well, everybody's all lined up again. And as soon as humanity shakes off the, 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 the still, we've still got a little bit of, of, of alignment to do when, when that happens. Um, then the sphere alliance can show itself and everybody's not going to freak out because you're already on the ascension reality. And nobody's going to freak out. Those people that were on the Nazi side and were, were doing a lot of bad things, they're going to go, oh, my God, what was I doing? We're not going to damn them or hurt them or judge them. It was, an, it was just an expression of life. And if we hadn't have gone through all this, we never would have been prepared for the... For the collision, we would have been taken by surprise. Everything would have stopped, and we never would have built the realities 
cube. And if we, and as he was told, if he had mucked with it, if he had stopped it, the bad would have gone on forever. But no, the bad is not going on forever. And we are going to go on forever, but not tonight because it's the end of the show. Uh, <laughs> Walt, I just looked at the clock. Walt, uh, any parting thoughts? Nope. I think you've covered every single facet. So I take it you will be uh, interviewing him on any of the other available shows or even this one. Hey, I I just do whatever happens. <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> I'm not planning at this game, you know. I mean, I just, whatever happens, if Dolly books him again, sure. <laughs> oh, okay. It'd be interesting, you know, what other updates, uh, what other info he's got access to. Well, yeah, I'm hoping that we we hear a lot more from him. Yes, well, I, I suspect we will because this this was a major turning point in his life too, I'm sure. Because we've got the, we've got the audio and... Um, when that thing really gets cooking out there and people start listening to this man and getting that into the collective, that's I think that's going to be the tipping point. Colleen, anything? Are you mic'd? Yes, I am muted. Um, Dolly has a question for you in the other chat group. Here, uh, make sure you look at that. Where is it? The one you got up? Uh, the Dolly Nancy Annette one. Oh, what's she saying? Well, I didn't want to put you on a spot or anything, so I just wanted to make sure you look at that while I got you here. Um, live. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, whatever she wants to book. <laughs> okay. You heard it here first, Dolly. <laughs> Oh, I can't, I can't thank her enough for being who she is because she just goes with the flow too. And she's, uh, you know, you, you just, it's like Walt. He has to buy, he has to make that device. Well, she has to ask these people. She doesn't even know what she's getting herself into and she's brilliant. Um, and of course we can't do it without you, Colleen. So thank you very much for your producing. And, um, ooh, Colleen and I will be back on Wednesday and then we've got, you know, well, there's, there's so many good shows on Wolf Spirit. Stay with us. Walt, thank you so very, very much. I so appreciate you um, thank you and thank being my co-host. Here. Say again, hon. Thank you and thank the audience for being bearing with us. Yes, yes. I hope we uh I hope we instilled some joy into them. You know. We're gonna party for a thousand years. Bring your own. Wow. <laughs> and no more and no and no more beer bills. It'll and just no- flow. <laughs> no, no more telling people that they're not the best there is. Everybody is the best there is because you're all source and you're all reflecting back into the to the experience of life. I'm out of here. Bye, guys. Be safe. Have a really good night. night. Week. We'll see you next week. Good night, Thank everybody. You. Night. Preaching. Preaching. The unknown. You have been listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you for listening. Choose your heart as a man.